Well, I'm picturing like a dark room with cigar smoke <laughs> wisps all about. There's quiet jazz music in the background. It's dimly old, lit. An old style light hanging over the table. Mackie's sitting there with a cigar hanging out of the corner of his mouth. It's unlit, but he just likes the taste. <laughs> Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for hockey and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. And I think it was a Toronto Raptors game. Drake is the Toronto Raptors guy, the rapper Drake. He's the guy who loves the Raptors, right? Well, he's from Toronto, and he'll claim any team that's winning, so yes. So he was standing up behind some Bulls player who was inbounding a pass. I saw that. And he's whispering in his ear, and the guy got a five-second violation, which is it's a funny clip. Okay, Drake is sitting courtside, and he's whispering in this guy's ear, and it's funny, and five-second violation. And the question was, should Drake be this involved on the sidelines? <laughs> and the first two guys, and I can't remember if it was Plasky or whoever it was, instead of, oh, 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 it's kind of funny, I think he should be more involved or making some funny joke. Sure. The first guy out of the gate was, absolutely not. He absolutely <laughs> needs to be, you can't have this in an NBA basketball game. Just oh hot, takey, power take out wow. of the gate. Well, it's like, what? Just This is supposed to be fun. These are, this is entertainment. It's fun. He's standing up on the sideline. It, it is funny to me that... Drake and sports do sort of occupy the same, like, subsection of our, I don't know, society in that, like, they're entirely based on entertainment value. And yet, because there are so many people paid so much money to break down and analyze sports and, you know, bring the viewers and listeners and readers what they want... It's just an inevitable consequence that you're going to have people that take this stuff so seriously that you can't see your hand six inches in front of your face and realize, listen what you're talking about right now. Like, listen to yourself. In fact, I got a story for you. Uh, So I played, um, well, some people would say varsity basketball, but I I think it was junior varsity basketball. As a senior. T-shirt under the jersey, right? At Bloomington. In in all the pictures of the games after we won, I'm still wearing my warm up, and that means one thing to everyone who's ever played basketball. It's like when you get your name called to go into the game, you pull off that warm up. I was always wearing the warm up in the post game pictures. So take that for whatever it's worth. But the point of the story is we were at this little like banquet, team bonding, spaghetti dinner. We're just hanging out, and with apologies to the municipalities who say that. Uh, gambling without a license is illegal and with apologies to my parents who probably wouldn't condone this we're playing a little blackjack the guys and myself and we're playing for pennies and nickels so if you're going to come after me all right fine guilty 
and I was I was pretty big into blackjack for quite a while. This was before my like real kick hit. But if you're 18 and there's no house cut, I think it's fine. I think you're fine there. I don't think okay. you have to worry about getting arrested by someone listening to the Touch Em All podcast. Well, I will say that it was small peanuts, so I'm not worried anyways. And what's the statute of limitations on penny blackjack anyways? It can't be more than five years. And so I think... Depends I'm, on the jurisdiction yeah. and how bored the police are. But, yeah. I think, that I'm, I think that I'm probably safe telling you this story. Um, so I like blackjack and I like the rules and I could tell you every single play to make in every single situation. Some people are like, oh, I know the book mostly, but I, you got to go by feel. No. That's stupid. You've got to go by the book if you want any chance of winning. And furthermore, if you want to tip the tables in your favor, you've probably got to count cards too. People are like, well, I've just got to – I've got to strat – I've got to assist. No, you don't. It's math. It's just math you're going to lose. So I'm taking blackjack pretty seriously, right? You can tell by my tone that, like, I, I don't have that much patience for people who say, well, like, I always – split nines against a 10 or whatever whatever the rule is because like, I just have a feeling. It's a glimpse, I suppose, if people are, are sort of new to the podcast. It's a glimpse into why you and I go so analytical sometimes on this. You grew up as a blackjack player. Right. I grew up in the poker business right. running a company and playing poker. And, and so, it's just math. Like it's all a lot of it. And blackjack is more mathematical than no limit hold'em, which is math plus reading people. For right? sure. Which is what sports are, too, as a front office member. You better be For paying sure. attention to analytics and also reading human beings. But, Absolutely. All right, go ahead. No, I, th I think that's a big reason why I view baseball through this prism. But I was we're – a, we're a couple shoes deep in, in playing blackjack. And we're, you know, we're having a good time, and it's spaghetti dinner. It's at my buddy's parents' house, and team bonding is happening. Well, then one kid bets like – he has to go. He's like, oh, my parents are here. I, I got to run. So I'm going to just push all my money on this next hand. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, are you sure you want to do that? And he puts like 75 cents in the middle of the table. When, <laughs> when Previously, you know, we've been betting. Well, there's no table limit, but I'm betting two pennies and a nickel. And, like, if I'm betting a dime, it's because the count's crazy and I'm feeling it and we're deep in the shoe and I'm this is a good spot for me. Well, I basically went nuts on him. I was like, are you – are you serious? And then he gets a hand and he plays it wrong, um, wrong according to the book, but how he wanted to play it. Like he had like a, a 16 against a 5 or something, a dealer bust card, and he wants to hit it because he's like, I don't like 16. I don't like staying on 16. I'm like, dude, are, you're kidding, right? You're going to hit that 16? And I can't, like I'll never forget the way he just looked back at me. And I was going nuts and it was uncalled for, and he goes, Listen to yourself right now. Like, I've got 75 cents at stake, and I'm playing blackjack for fun with my friends in the basement. At a spaghetti party. And you are freaking out that I'm not playing it by the book. Go home, Wetmore. <laughs> and that and you have no social credibility in this crowd because you've never <laughs> taken your warm-up jersey off. And that's a roundabout way of telling a story that, like, we take things way too seriously sometimes. And analyzing Drake on the sideline at a basketball game is one of those situations where you wish the person could just step back and be like, hold on a second. I'm being paid to talk about a rapper on TV at a basketball game for pure entertainment, just for fun, so, so the viewers can be entertained. Let me tie this in with the Twins. Would Alex Meyer moving back to the bullpen again 
Should our level of outrage be Derek Wetmore at Spaghetti Party <laughs> freaking out at the Twins? What are you doing? I'm sorry, back to the rotation. Back right. to the rotation, right. not the bullpen. Out of the bullpen. Pretty soon back to the back to the bullpen. Or is Alex Meyer the equivalent of a 75-cent bet at this point that really just doesn't matter if you win or lose the hand? The way I view it, and I wrote a column for this on 1500ESPN.com. I know there's some people that disagree with my belief, but my belief is... Alex Meyer's got no future in the starting rotation. He's a reliever, and your best bet is to put him in that role and get him used to what he's going to be doing there. That is, he can drop the changeup. He's got to learn to refine his control in one-inning stints. Look, if you're a reliever and you're walking five guys per nine innings, it's just it's not going to work for you. I don't care if you throw 110. It's not going to work for you. Um, like Carlos Marmol is the best example that I could think of somebody who was like a good reliever with some nasty stuff and didn't know where it was going and he'd walk the park. Well, he had some limited success, sure, but I mean, over the long term, are you going to be a successful reliever? I question that, and so therefore, I think the best thing for Meyer at this point is to say, listen, because Alex Meyer wants to be a reliever. And because Paul Muller wants him to be a reliever, and because it didn't work for him as a starter at age 25 in 2015, fine. All of that stuff should be taken into consideration and then say, okay, best bet going forward, maximizing his value by making him a reliever at AAA Rochester. I think it's really hard for teams, well, it's, it's, it's hard on two fronts. It's hard for teams when they go pretty far in, bringing back the gambling analogy, when they put a lot of chips in the middle on a trade or on a signing to then cut bait or to then cut their losses. And the Twins traded Denard Span in his prime, very team-friendly contract, and he winds up producing for two full years with the Nationals, and he was good in a half season last year but wound up being on the disabled list and then became a free agent went to the Giants. But when you traded Denard Span, you figured, oh, we've got depth in center field. The process, I think the process of that trade was a good one. You're not going to be good for a couple of years. you got this guy who's really valuable, who has a team-friendly contract, and by the time you're good again, you know he's probably not going to be as much of a piece to the puzzle because you've got Hicks and Buxton in the system. So trade him while his value is high. Mm-hmm. Oh, they only got an A-ball pitcher for him? Man, Alex Meyer better be a rock star, and he was high A. He was at double A. I can see why it would be tough for the Twins to give up their dream of Alex Meyer fulfilling the Denard Span trade and right. being a starting pitcher. And Terry Ryan was the one who pulled the trigger on that trade. The other thing that's hard, though, is for athletes, forget pitchers, but athletes, once you become 26 years old, which Alex Meyer is, or 27 years old, you kind of are what you are. There's not many athletes who just become five steps beyond what they are at age 26 right. or 27. Now, he's already in his prime right now, mm-hmm. and he's just had a cup of coffee which your analogy on our radio show was great, which he spilled all over himself yeah. <laughs> last year. Cup of coffee in the bigs, and he spilled it in his lap. So you know, he, he was an effective starter as recently as two years ago, right. which is, I think, enough reason to lure you back in. I see what the Twins are trying to do here, but, man, he's about ninth or 10th on the rotation depth chart right, right now. There's a couple guys probably in his AAA rotation that you're going to look at and say, well, well, Jose Barrios is one of them. Mm-hmm. But that guy would be called up before Alex Meyer. It just seems like wasted time. That You might as well move on to the next phase here. If he was 23 years old, I would say, oh, for sure, let him work out his control right. problems. 24 years old, maybe even 25 like he was last year. But when you're 26 and you're spinning your tires, 
that's a really tough sell for me, for him to go back to try and work on that third pitch again for the third straight year in this system. So here's two points on this. First, I understand that the Twins, most decision-makers with the Twins, now keep in mind, they're split on this decision. This wasn't like, well, the Twins are all of the opinion that Meyer should be a starter. No, the, the Twins front office, from what I can tell, more or less split down the middle in terms of key decision-makers thinking what they should do with Meyer to open the season. And look, even the people who think he should be a starter right now in AAA Rochester, I'm not convinced they think he's a future big league starter. I think more likely they think that by being a starter, he gets more opportunities to throw his change up, more opportunities to repeat his delivery, which can sometimes be a problem for a six foot nine pitcher. And that leads to the control problem. So they're basically saying, well, you need to work on this, this, and this, Let's give you some bulk of innings so that you can work on it instead of what you do as a reliever, and this is why it's my opinion he should do this. If he was a reliever, how many changes does he have to throw an outing? Zero. So he never has to develop that. He can just go big fastball, big breaking ball, boom, boom, boom. Hopefully, you know, strike out enough batters before he walks in a run or something like that. All right, fine. That's 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 what he needs to work on, and I get that they're saying that he can work on that more in a starting role, but here's my question. How many innings does he need from the time he was signed out of Kentucky to when he could be a big league pitcher repeating his delivery, throwing with command, not walking four and a half batters per nine innings, and throwing a reasonable changeup to get righties and lefties out? How many innings could a guy possibly need? Like, is 150 innings this year going to be the difference between, boy, that guy wasn't going to contribute anything in the majors to, okay, now this guy's a serviceable pitcher for us. Thank God we gave him those extra 100 innings in 2016. I just don't think that you can keep holding out for this this sort of mythical, this uh, projection that you've put on Alex Meyer. You're projecting your hopes and wants and dreams on this guy who was a former top prospect. Well, that luster is worn off for me. Now I'm trying to figure out how can he help the Twins going forward. That's that's what I would do if I were calling the shots. Man, when you look back, and, and Bill Smith is part of this too, but Terry Ryan, some of the trades he's made since he's come back, the Twins have given up premium positions. And guys who are either in their prime or just emerging into their prime, Wilson Ramos was a catcher, J.J. Hardy third base, uh, I'm sorry, J.J. Hardy shortstop in his prime. And then you had a couple center fielders, Ben Revere, who was about 24 years old when you traded him. Denard Spam was 28. So those are Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez going back. Although I, I would argue they got equal value for him by getting J.J. Hardy. They could have won that trade. Um, they screwed it up subsequently. By trading J.J. Hardy then for Jim Hoey. And so we're talking center fielders in their prime, shortstop in his prime, a catcher just emerging into his prime. And they wound up getting Matt Capps, Jim Hoey, Vance Worley, Alex Meyer, and Trevor May, and then some other random reliever. Brett uh, Jacobson. Okay. Not random. Jim Hoey and Brett Jacobson for J.J. Hardy. From the Orioles. Yeah, that's a hell and of so a haul. As of right now, for all of those premium positions, you got a closer who didn't – you didn't really even need him in 2010 to wind up clinching a division by six games, yeah. and you lost to the Yankees in three. And Trevor May, who right now is your seventh or eighth inning guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's got more potential than just being a relief pitcher. And maybe he winds up being a really good relief pitcher. But that's, man, that's a lot. Those are core pieces to the puzzle that you're not getting any return for. Big swings and a miss. Here's my second and final point on the Alex Meyer conversation. You asked, should we be Derek Wetmore at a blackjack table outraged? 
And no, probably is the answer. But there's not many things you should be Derek no. Wetmore in a blackjack table outraged over not. in life. Traffic, <laughs> uh, internal politics at Why? work. Yeah, <laughs> just just leave that alone. You'll be happier. Um, but I will say that to evaluate these moves in a vacuum is kind of in, important to me. It's critical to say. You know, I, I think you could look at this and say, well, they traded Ben Revere and Denard Span and got a guy who could be a serviceable starter or or at, or maybe a late-inning reliever and took a chance on an Alex Meyer, and he, let's say it doesn't work. Let's just say this never works. Like, he provides basically no value. If fast-forward five years that happens, you could look back and say, well, they gave up two center fielders in a couple years of team control, and... I mean, unless Trevor May turns out to be a great starter, like, yeah, that, that probably didn't work. You took a couple lottery tickets and they didn't cash in. But I do think you have to evaluate moves in sort of a vacuum, too. Um, uh, as an example, so so don't get outraged by it necessarily, like I would have at that blackjack table, but at least acknowledge that, hey, man, I don't care if it is 75 cents. You're playing that wrong. You're not playing it by the book. Now when you get it up and you're playing $100 hands and $150 hands, Suddenly, your gut feeling is going to steer you wrong, and you're going to go broke. Um, it's like the old—it's the old uh, analogy that you're driving a crappy beater, a 20-year-old car with 150,000 miles, but you make sure you're always changing the oil. You're rotating the tires every season if you need to. You're, uh, you're, you're taking care of your engine so that okay, is it a big deal when you're driving that 1997 Ford Focus that you're doing all of these things to take care of your car? No, it's not. But then what happens when you upgrade and you've got your like your big boy car? Well, you're not in the habit of taking care of these things. You're not in the routine of routine auto maintenance. And then it becomes a bigger deal. So I think you have to focus on these little decisions like Miguel Sano too, for example. I think you could look at this winter and reasonably surmise, all right, the Twins might have gotten a pretty good steal in Byung-Ho Park. He should help the offense if things work the way they, they hope to. They saw the trade market for third baseman, and though Terry Ryan contends he never called anyone on Trevor Plouffe, I'd be stunned if teams weren't calling the Twins on Trevor Plouffe. And you'd be stupid then if you're the Twins to not at least listen. I know you like Trevor Plouffe, but let's hear what's out there. But then you see the trade package that the Reds get back from the White Sox in the Todd Frazier trade, and reasonably surmise, oh, man, that's a modest or underwhelming return for a third baseman who, frankly, is better than Trevor Plouffe. Maybe it's best that we keep Ploof and try to figure out something else with Miguel Sano. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that, that all of that stuff went into the thought process, and I still think you can fairly question the fact that they're moving him out to right field and just assuming that it's going to work without much of a backup plan. I don't think you have to get outraged by it to analyze it. I still think you can look at it and say, man, that... That thought process might work when you're driving the 1997 beater, but as soon as you guys upgrade and you've got a couple studs in their prime, very fair to question the decision-making process of the Twins front office as a whole. I'm not going to tell our listeners how to think and feel. If you want to flip the blackjack table over and spill all the money on the floor, that's that's totally fine. The poker that's chips in this case, yeah. yeah. Whatever. I'm, I'm operating on a different gambling <laughs> analogy level. Over well, there. I'm picturing like a dark room with cigar smoke <laughs> wisps all about. There's... Quiet jazz music in the background. It's dimly old, lit. An old-style light hanging over the table. Mackie sitting there with a cigar hanging out of the corner of his mouth. It's unlit, but he just likes the taste. <laughs> He's wearing an ironic Hawaiian button-up Tommy Bahama shirt, too. With one of those blue visors that's sort of see-through, semi-transparent. Yeah, or the Greg Raymer dinosaur eye yeah. glasses from <laughs> 10 years ago. Awesome, man. 
Uh, you, you just got back from Fort Myers a few days ago, so you, you spent a month observing and talking to people and just getting a feel for this team. And since we just went negative for the first 15 minutes by uh, discussing the failure of Alex Meyer, give me the three things you're most positive about looking at this team for 2016 based in part on what you saw and heard in spring training. Most positive. Um, well, I'll just come up with some positives because I don't know if I'm ready to rank these yet. But Byungo Park's not going to be a disaster. That's... Can, we, can we officially say that based on spring performance? Yes. Okay. Because he ha- it's not like he's a track recordless player. I get that he's coming over to a more difficult league after dominating a league that's viewed to be inferior. And so you take his stats with a grain of salt. Of course you're not going to say, all right, well, over the past two years he hit 105 home runs. So for the next two years, somehow he'll get to 80, 90, or 100 home runs. No chance. No way, and nor are the Twins counting on that. I've talked to multiple people in the front office who obviously won't go on record making a prediction about this guy's ceiling, but trust me, the Twins are not expecting that kind of production from Byung-Ho Park. I think that's fairly obvious. That shouldn't even need sourcing to say that, but I'm saying that. I will say that before I went to spring training, I wondered, all right, he's got these stats, but what if he's doing it against 88-mile-an-hour fastballs and sliders that are more like loopy curveballs? Well, that's kind of like, I'm not going to call it glorified batting practice because obviously those guys are professionals too, and, and they're good at baseball. Like, they're good at baseball. But I do think that there's a big difference between 88 and 96, like a chasm of difference between those two things. The moment that I thought, all right, my skepticism has started to subside a little bit, was after his first game. He struck out three times in three plate appearances his first game, uh, an exhibition against, I think it was the Orioles, I want to say. Okay, whoa, that's a, that's a tough start. That's not what you wanted to see for your highest, uh, your, your biggest offseason acquisition if you're the Twins front office. But the following game, I want to say, He's facing a guy with mid-90s heat. He gets a 94-mile-an-hour fastball, and he pulls it to the shortstop's right. Now, it's a minor detail. I get it. And he might have been sitting on the fastball. But the fact that he wasn't blown away by 94-95, I think, is a good sign. Even though it was technically – I mean, it was a ground out. The shortstop made a nice play. But if you were going to have concerns, like the Orioles rightly should have right now with their new left fielder or supposed left fielder, Hyun Soo Kim, who looks like he can't play Major League Baseball right now. I think, I think, Twins fans should feel a little more assured that Park at some point will hit in the majors because he wasn't just completely overmatched by some of the big fastballs he saw this year. And I actually think that the the fastball heat factor is overrated when it comes to whether a hitter is going to succeed or not. And I'm not saying that he faced a bunch of 96-mile-an-hour fastballs in Korea, but yeah. if you give a professional hitter time, if, you, if, a, if a professional hitter knows that a fastball is coming, whether it's 92 or 98, he's going to sit on it and he's going to hit it. Sure. He's going to make contact. Fair point. It's how effective is the secondary pitch and the third pitch, and then how well can you locate whatever fastball you're throwing. And then if you want to take it a step further, it's the level of scouting and the depth of scouting in the major leagues, which is a – multi-billion dollar industry and teams are paying there's just a lot more scouts and there's a lot more information and there's just a lot more uh just a lot more advanced scouting information in order to pinpoint exactly what your weakness is and pitchers are good enough to locate secondary pitches and pinpoint fastballs more than korean 
pitchers. So yep, they I would just agree with that. The best pitcher last year in Korea was Eric Hacker, okay. who was in the Twins minor league system for a year or two about five years ago. And maybe he added something, and, and maybe he's just become a better pitcher in general. But that guy led the KBO in wins last year. And it's not that Eric Eric Hacker, if I remember right, he could throw 90 miles an hour. And there's guys over there who throw 90, I'm sure 94 miles an hour. But they're not able to really pinpoint their secondary pitches and go after a hitter's weakness with the control and the authority that you would see in the major league. Sure. Uh, so you asked me for three positives, and I only gave you one. Um <laughs> Buying that's time. that's not a that, negative. That's not a reflection on the fact that the Twins have no positives for 2016. I think they do. I think they really do. I think they have a nice young core. And we've talked about this in the past. That I, if I was a Twins fan, I would really like where the Twins were organizationally. We sort of nitpick fringe decisions and things like that, and questionable signings and all that. That's that, I think that's all fair criticism. But we're also pretty quick to point out when the Twins do things well, um, and when they're. Um, yeah, just primed for success, I would say. So, like, an obvious an obvious uh, positive would be that Miguel Sano is going to be in their lineup for if he's healthy, 600, 650, 700 plate appearances. Like, that's huge. You can't really understate that. Irvin Santana is going to be, uh, barring an injury, he's going to be on the staff for a full season. Like, that's big, too. I would say if I can just lump all things into – one, I'll give you my second positive, and that's that Glenn Perkins is healthy. I think that's important for the bullpen. I think now that you have three relievers you can really count on after moving Trevor May out there, I think that's a good place to start. I still think they've got to find their lefty. I still think they have to fill out the rest of the pen, but that's a good place to start. And Glenn Perkins is always healthy around this time of year. Sure. Can he be healthy in June, July, Yep. August, September? But still. We'll see. But still, good to see that Perkins is out somewhere. there getting guys out, getting strikeouts, getting swings and misses with the fastball and the slider. That's an important development for the Twins that I think I sort of took for granted a little bit, you know, when he hit the shelf last year that, well, how the off season and he's doing his stretching stuff and doing his off season maintenance and making sure he's ready to go. But still, if you're looking for positives, encouraging signs, Perkins has to be on that list. And then the third one, I'm just going to lump the whole rotation all together. I think it's encouraging that Phil Hughes looks good and has been effective. Um, but, I don't want to sell the other guys short, too. I mean, I think Irvin Santana's having a good spring. I think he'll probably be the opening day starter. If I had to guess right now, Irvin Santana would start opening day. Um, Kyle Gibson getting some swings and misses. He's using his curveball more. I think if he can become kind of a little bit more of a strikeout pitcher like he was down the stretch last year to go with the high, high ground ball rate, you're looking at a pretty good above-average starting pitcher in Kyle Gibson. Posted a column today uh, from our 2016 Twins Outlook series about how I used to be skeptical about Kyle Gibson, and now I'm not. He converted me into a believer. Uh, he just seems like a good, solid mid-rotation horse. Perfect. He's going to start regularly giving you 200 innings probably for the next few years until he hits and free you need agency. That. And he's figured out finally after the first couple months last year how to pitch off the plate. He caught so much plate for the first year and a half in the big leagues. And then he figured out, I can throw some of this off-speed stuff off the plate, get them to swing and miss, strikeouts go up, and then he becomes more valuable. Um, I like him too. I I do think there's I don't I don't know if when when they first drafted him and when he was coming up through the system before the Tommy John, he had top of the rotation potential. I yeah. believe he threw a little bit harder. Well, he was a first round pick. I mean, he struck more batters out. Yeah, you expect those guys are going to have that sort of ceiling. And so for him to come back from Tommy John surgery 
which is now, what, four or five years ago, and still be a number three, good, solid number three starter. Maybe if you're looking at other playoff caliber rotations, maybe he fits in more on that number four spot. But he's he's very Doug Fister-like. He's not going to be a top of the rotation, but regularly gives you between six and eight innings with a handful of strikeouts and a bunch of ground balls. And he's just a solid, reliable guy to put in your rotation for the next few years. Yeah, I like Gibson. So I would say uh, rotation is probably the third positive. From Irvin Santana, Kyle Gibson, Phil Hughes, Tyler Duffy, who showed us a lot down the stretch last year, and then Tommy Malone. I mean, if Tommy Malone's your fifth starter, you're doing okay. Interesting tidbit. I have projected three times now uh, my Twins opening day roster. It's very it's very Mel Kiper mock draft 6.0 at this point. Yeah, um, just going man. through different iterations of who I think the 25 Did man roster. Did you project trades too? Like no, I didn't. Okay. Although Did I, no, Kiper doesn't do trades. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Chris Collinsworth did trades on Pro Football Focus. Nice. His first ever mock draft ever. Pro Football he Focus. Some trades. He's got the number one overall pick being traded to the Los Angeles Rams. Nice. That's awesome. So tell me you swung a trade for no, like Andrew McCutcheon or something. No, although I am, and you could see it, right? The Twins could use a leadoff hitter right now. They don't have a prototypical one, although I don't know where he would play if you traded for that guy unless you gave up an existing piece. But also you could see them trading position uh, from a position of strength right now, probably pitching. The Twins don't have that top-end strength but they do have numbers in the rotation. Here's where I get to the interesting tidbit. I wouldn't be shocked to see a trade just because of the numbers that they have. Um, we mentioned the five guys, and then I didn't get to Ricky Nolasco's name. I projected him in all three iterations of my opening day roster speculation to be in the bullpen. I think Ricky Nolasco opens the season in the bullpen. I just think he's going to be the sixth guy in a five-man battle for the starting rotation. And I'm sure he'll handle that with... The utmost professionalism. Maybe. We'll see. The interesting tidbit, Phil Mackey, I don't know how much time you spend on TwinsBaseball.com, or I think they maybe changed their domain now, but TwinsBaseball.com still gets you there. Twins.com is a whole other story. Yeah, it's funny it's because... two dudes who have refused to sell the website. Yeah, the Twins website. want that URL, actually, or Major League Baseball wanted to try to get that, and I've heard like for the longest time they just can't get Those it. cheap poll ads, man, offering 20 bucks for yeah. Twins.com. <laughs> All it'll take is twenty bucks, man. How about fifteen? They actually bought the rights to twlns.com. <laughs> That's the Tim Stoffer version of Twins.com. But in all, if you, if you type the twns in all caps, the L looks like an I if it's lowercase. Exactly. Um, here's here's the tidbit that I've been teasing for what seems like an hour and a half now. On the Twins' official depth chart, this is, and now I say official, this is not like Terry Ryan is scratching out this depth chart or Paul Molitor is scratching out this depth chart, but it is the team website. The team's sanctioned website has the starting rotation right now, and the order probably doesn't matter. I don't think this would be the order that it is, but this is what they have. One, Phil Hughes. Two, Irvin Santana. Three, Kyle Gibson. Four, Tyler Duffy. Five, Tommy Malone. Here's the bullpen they have listed. Glenn Perkins, Ryan Presley, Kevin Jepson, J.R. Graham, Casey Fiend, Trevor May, Ryan O'Rourke, Michael Tonkin, Logan Darnell, Ricky Nolasco. So that's ten relievers. That's three of those guys are going to have to get cut because the Twins are going to open with a seven-man bullpen. But it's interesting that a lot of teams you'll see on here, if the Nationals have six quality starting pitchers, for example, 
they'll list six starting pitchers in the middle of the diamond there under rotation. Yeah. On the Twins, they list five starters, and Ricky Nolasco is already being counted as a bullpen. I didn't notice this until we started recording this podcast. Somebody sent that to Matt Sosnick, the agent who spoke to Doogie that, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and said, make sure everyone knows my client will not be happy but if just, he doesn't find. Ricky Nolasco's quote, though, around that, this is like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. And I think you were down there for this. Well, I don't know if you were in the scrum for this, but so- somebody asked him about the rotation. Hey, your agent, blah, blah, blah. And Ricky said, yeah, I mean, I, I'm open to all kinds of possibilities. I don't, I don't care if I'm if I'm number one in the rotation or number five in the rotation. Yeah. Like, well, actually. Right. Uh, <laughs> the question was, how would you feel? If, you know, it's kind of a weird spring for you. How do you feel? In the past, as a veteran starting pitcher, you've been basically assured, no matter what team you're on, of being in the starting rotation, now it's a little bit of a hazier future for you. How do you feel about this spring? And he said, I don't worry about that stuff. I just take care of my own business. It's not going to affect me whether I'm, you know, first in the rotation or fifth in the rotation. I'm going to bring my best every single day. What if you're you're playing hot foot in the bullpen? (laughs) Right, but Ricky, uh, yeah, I think he – he understood the line of questioning, but he was just giving the athlete response to it. It's interesting that they have him listed in the bullpen, even though, having worked at MLB.com in the past, I know full well that that stuff's not assembled by the team. It's a it's a it's a collection of producers and writers that just say like, oh hey hey, there's there's a roster move today. This is what I think it might look like going forward, kind of a thing. Uh, so as we talk about depth charts and, and roster battles, you did, am I speaking out of turn, you did pump out an updated 3.0, yes. 25-man roster. 3.0 is, is up, baby. So it's what live. are, I don't need to go through, we know that Ploof and Dozier and Mauro, so give me give me some of your Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, uh, Bracketology, sure. Joe Lenardi, last four in, first four out. Well, if you want, yeah, vice if you, versa, how about just is. like some surprises, if we can go, if we can go that yeah, way. I, I want to know. Arcia, Carlos Quentin, yep. Ryan Sweeney, exactly. all that kind of stuff. So in 3.0, which is, trust me, the last one that I'll be doing before the season starts, I've got the bench as John Ryan Murphy. I think he eventually takes over as a starting catcher. But yeah, I think that might be starts kind of the season as the bench. Thing pretty early on. And after that, I've got Eduardo Nunez, good bench bat, capable of playing three infield positions. Not that he's great defensively, but... He was a solid extra player for the Twins last year. Oswaldo Arcia, as a sort of pinch hitter, power, off-the-bench bat, um, can play some defensive outfield, actually looks a little bit better in the outfield this year. In fact, I'm sitting at the Hammond Stadium press box, and there's a scout sitting next to me. We're chit-chatting. This is behind the scenes, Phil Mackey. You guys just staring at each other, trying to one-up with scouting terms? We were playing blackjack, actually, instead of paying attention to the (laughs) baseball. They they were taking infield, outfield, and so, you know, there's a little bit you can glean off that, especially if you're a scout who hasn't seen these guys in a while. He's like, oh, who's that out in left field? Neither of us had the binoculars. I recognize the body type. Oh, that's Max Kepler. Oh, that's Kepler? Okay. Jots down a little note. Arcia comes up. All caps, must trade for. Go get this kid. No space on twins. Good player. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was peeking at his notes a little bit. And then Arcia fields a ground ball to his left in the outfield and left field. Stops, pivots, throws down to second base on a dime. I mean, I don't mean to play up this thing that happened in pregame workouts because who cares? But you're going to play up this thing that happened in pregame workouts. He's like, oh, oh, who's that? That's... Uh, I thought Rosario was going to play left field this year. I said, he is. That was Oswaldo Arcia. He goes, that was Arcia? 
quick frantically turns to his notebook and takes down a couple of notes. And I was like, I wasn't going to ask him what he wrote. Scouts. But I'm like. He's drawing, just like drawing pictures of drawing <laughs> cartoons. Yeah. That was Arcea? Well, I need to draw the Rugrats. This is, this is a dinosaur. This, I drew a Triceratops. He, he quick made note. like Arcea Starts doing origami in the corner. Arcea. Arcea looks better. No, scouts are hardworking professionals, and I respect what they do. It's just it's funny to poke fun at. Uh, Arcea looks better, man. I, some people are giving me heat for how bullish I am on Arcea this year. You I'm, and I are both firmly entrenched on Team Arcea here. It's going to be weird if he gets a starting role and hits 25 home runs. There's going to be a lot of sad sacks on Twitter that are upset that they uh, poked holes in our Arcea arguments here uh, for the first cu- for the couple months leading up to uh, Twins 2016 season. Uh, the fourth and final bench spot, I've got Danny Santana. I, he hasn't shown much in spring training, but he's a guy with tons of versatility. Paul Molitor likes that. He's out of minor league options, and he played in the major leagues last year, at least for a that's cup important. Of and uh, he has some done something <laughs> since 2012, yeah. so that is an important factor. Um, you know, okay, look, I get that Carlos Quentin could have some value, but I think you start him in the minor leagues, and you see what you got. I haven't seen enough in spring training with all of eight hits in spring training to say this guy is going to make the Twins better. Ryan Sweeney, same deal. Nice stories, both of them, but let's see what you got there before you start jumping all in on them. Final point on Danny Santana. As much as people were way too high on him after his great 2014 season that was fueled by an historically great batting average on balls in play, people were way too high on this kid as a future shortstop star. Much like that, I think they're way too low on him now. Look, 2015 didn't go well for him, but if he can find some sort of happy medium between the player he was in 2014 and the player he was in 2015, perfectly serviceable bench guy, team control, a uh, lot of things to like about Danny Santana, despite maybe what you've seen in spring training so yeah. far. So that's my bench. Bullpen's a little bit of a surprise, I guess, for some people. Uh, Glenn Perkins, Trevor May, Kevin Jepsen. My lefty's Fernando Abad, non-roster guy. You'd have to make space for him. But I'm cutting Michael Tonkin, so there's no problem there. He takes that roster spot. Then the final three writers, righties, Casey Fien, Ricky Nolasco, Ryan Presley. Mm. Um, yeah, tell me more about Presley. I've always liked Presley's arm. It's weird. The injuries last year put a wrench into it. Mm-hmm. I've always thought he has potential, and he actually showed some for a while, too. It's uh, weird. His, his his stats weren't good last year. Like, I look back at his stats after thinking, yeah, he had a kind of a good year, and he was starting to throw the ball well when he got hurt. Like, you can't really find a stretch of time statistically to say that's true. He walks a lot of guys, or did last year. He strikes out some, but it's not like he's a strikeout artist. But mid-90s fastball, they like his secondary stuff. He's a guy that they took from the Red Sox in the Rule 5 draft a couple years ago, kept him on the roster for a full season, so they now own his rights. Um, He's just a good, young-ish reliever that the Twins are pretty high on. And one thing that's clear to me after some conversations in the past year, I'll say like the last calendar year, I think the Twins are higher on Ryan Presley than the stats would suggest. Conversely, I think they're probably lower on Michael Tonkin than the stats would suggest. So if you're just looking at these things in a vacuum, you might say, well, Tonkin's done more in the minor leagues than Presley has. Yeah, that might be true. But it's the Twins' belief, and I don't disagree with them, that Presley can probably do more to help them in the majors this year. So I just... I, I feel good about the first six, and then Presley's a little bit of a dart. I could see him starting in the minor leagues, of course, but I knew I needed another right-hander to make a seven-man bullpen, and Presley's the guy I went with. I mean, 
it's hard to judge things based off spring training. It's such a small sample size, but I know that the Twins like Ryan Presley, and I think that he could help their bullpen this It's pretty easy to change. There's about two or three spots in that bullpen, too, that are going to be pretty easy to change out if you need to. Very fungible parts, I think, at the back end of a bullpen. Yeah. Um, should we take a voicemail? Yes, we should. I, I've sent out a call on Twitter for some voicemails. We've got a listener question here um, from Devlin. We'll get to that in a second. I first want to make a quick plea for anyone who listens to the Touch Em All podcast. If you're listening this far in, all the way through that blackjack story, and you, through, you either haven't set the sleep timer short enough. <laughs> you hit play and walked away from your smartphone. <laughs> or you're driving and you threw it out the window. If you are still listening to this and you enjoy our baseball conversations about the Twins, our analysis, please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. If you like the content enough to listen this far, do us a favor. Help this content reach more people. More Twins fans might want to hear from us. I don't know. That might be going out a little bit too far on a limb. But if they do, the best way to do that is to help boost our rankings on iTunes. And you can do that by subscribing to Touch Em All on iTunes and leaving a five-star review for Phil Mackey and I. Uh, let's hear from Devlin. And by the way, if you want to leave a voicemail for the show, we can compile them during the week. There's a post on 1500ESPN.com, or you can just Google. What, what's the phrase people can Google? If you go touch them all voicemail, you'll find the post that you're looking for. Touch them all voicemail. And it's super easy. I did it today. Touch them all voicemail. You click on the post, and then there's a little play button, and you just record your little message on your computer speaker. So make sure your boss is out of the room when you're doing this. And then you just hit send, and it sends me and Phil a an email with the attached voicemail to it. Um, some cool technology that we get to hear from our listeners. So here is loyal listener Devlin. Hey, Phil and Derek, this is Devlin, long-time listener, often-time tweeter. Hey, I just have a question for you guys. My question is, which do you think is going to be a bigger adjustment for the for the player? Is the bigger adjustment going to be Byung-Ho Park adjusting to Major League Baseball? Or is it going to be Miguel Sano adjusting to the to right field and an outfield position? Thanks. Yeah, Devlin, thank you for uh, the voicemail. I, I don't think it's even close. I mean, Miguel Sano has caught fly balls before at third base. It's The hitting aspect is going to be the same for him. Learning a new position in right field isn't isn't nearly what learning a new language is and learning a new culture and coming over and living somewhere new for the first time and then integrating in with new teammates and coaches and all the things that go into facing this caliber pitching for the first time. So I think the biggest adjustment by a mile is Byung-Ho Park, and it's it's a two-part adjustment. It's can you hit major league pitching and can you assimilate and integrate into American culture and the Twins clubhouse culture too. Look at it this way. If Miguel Sano boots a fly ball and turns a single into a double or a single into a triple, and maybe a run scores or two runs. I, these are scenarios that could very well play out, and I'd be willing to bet that everything that I just said will happen at least once in the course of the season. It just it will. There are a lot of defensive innings. He won't be flawless in right field from the get-go. But then Miguel Sano could go two for four with a bomb and a three-run double, and you'd be like... <laughs> Yeah, or okay. All right, only Wetmore would point out the fact that he misplayed a fly ball in the third inning that led to a run in a 9-1 to Twins blowout. Byung-Ho Park's a designated hitter, and if he doesn't provide any offensive value with his bat, you're going to start to hear the calls pretty early on from Twins fans on Twitter 
upset that he's not adjusting. I think the stakes are higher for Byung-Ho Park because it's basically sink or swim. Whereas Sano, I think it could be bad. So does David Ortiz, by the way. He thinks that Miguel Sano to the outfield's a big mistake for the Twins. He's a little biased, but Classic I Classic like... that David Ortiz would want to bash the Twins front office for something. It's just amazing that he might want to do that, hold some kind of a grudge uh, on his way out the door. And I don't think it's going to go perfectly for Miguel Sano. I think it's going to be a struggle at some times. But I think that there's enough value in the bat that we're going to kind of uh, all right, he's an adjusting major league right fielder, but at least he's hitting 35 home runs. We can live with that. Byung-Ho Park, I think I agree with everything Phil said. That's the harder adjustment for sure. And not only that, there's going to be more visibility on Sano because he's already kind of a star player. I mean, he could make an all-star game this year, and no one would bat an eye. But Byung-Ho Park's an international celebrity. He is a superstar in Korea. There's going to be an entire sports-following country watching his every move this year. Um, already has begun in spring training. And so I, I hesitate to say that the, the stakes are so much higher for Sano, but like he's already kind of the better and more established player. Park is going to have the microscope on his one thing more than Sano is in right field. So I think that transition's probably harder. I'm kind of glad you brought up David Ortiz. I totally forgot about this from over the weekend. Our colleague here at 1500 ESPN, uh, the radio station, Patrick Royce, caught up with David Ortiz in the JetBlue clubhouse as Ortiz was eating lunch, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. And Ortiz cut open another vein. I feel like once every six months the story comes back, and now that it's his final season... And people ask, well, why is this whole thing still relevant 13 years later? Okay, can we just move past this as Twins fans and media? <laughs> well, it's relevant for a couple reasons. Number one, Ortiz is still mad and still brings it up and still answers questions with new answers. Like, for instance, with Patrick Royce, he said, they treated me poorly when I was in the minor leagues, in the major leagues. It wasn't just that they undervalued me as a player, but they treated me poorly, too. I also think it's relevant still, too, because the guy who made that decision, Terry Ryan, is still the guy in charge of the Twins. Uh -huh. So if it were a different GM who got let go or went on to, to go work with some other team in 2006 or something, it wouldn't be nearly as much of a talker. But the key piece to the puzzle for the Twins on that side is Terry Ryan, mm -hmm. and he still uh, oversees all the baseball operations. And I also think for the third reason why it's still a big deal is because the longer David Ortiz plays, and this will be his last season, so he'll put a cap on his career, the more home runs he hits and the larger his legend grows, the closer this becomes, the closer this is really to a modern-day trading or giving away of Babe Ruth. It's, it really, it's the, the, this is the modern-day equivalent to the Red Sox selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees and then watching, look at all the comparisons. Both were in their mid-20s when they were given away for essentially nothing. The Red Sox got $100,000, which at the time, 80, 90, 100 years ago, is quite a bit of money. But uh, they didn't get a player in return. They gave up a budding superstar. You have both guys going to the other team winning multiple championships while you kind of toil. The Twins haven't won a playoff series since David Ortiz left for virtually nothing. Hall of Fame caliber, generationally great power hitters. Babe Ruth was the better player, but as far as larger-than-life power hitters, what they did for their new team, the identity of their new team and championship-winning teams, it is the modern-day equivalent of Babe Ruth to the Red Sox. So I'm never going to get sick of this talker because it's, it's, there's not really a historical equivalent unless you go back to Babe Ruth. 
all the other players you can name who, well, look at this player, was nothing with this team and went to that team and became a superstar. Usually it's a trade where you're getting something back, like Bagwell over to the Astros. The Braves got a major league pitcher in return for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Uh, Barry Bonds was a bidding war in free agency when he went to the Giants. So there was something, like the Pirates didn't just give him away for nothing. They couldn't sign him because they didn't have enough money to sign him. Here's an interesting note on Babe Ruth. For those that aren't necessarily versed in the history of baseball, he was a better player when the Red Sox sold him than Ortiz was when the Twins released him. He also was a great pitcher, too, when the Red Sox dumped him. In 1918, George Herman Ruth was 23 years old, and according to his baseball reference page, he was worth 5.1 wins above replacement. The following season, 1919, which I believe uh, was when Prohibition kicked in in the United States for any history buffs. It's just tough for Babe Ruth. Yeah, probably. Hot dogs, too. Probably. He was 24 years old, Boston Red Sox slugger and pitcher was worth 9.4 wins above replacement. That offseason, they sold him to the Yankees. And I'm just going to go through. So he's age 25 season, 1920 is the first year he's in pinstripes. Here are his wins above replacement for the rest of his career per his baseball reference page. 1920, 11.9 wins above replacement. Yeah, it's ridiculous. 12.9, 6.3. 14.1 wins above replacement. 14.1 wins above replacement. Uh, 11.7. 3.5 down year, 11.5, 12.4, 10.1, 8.0, 10.3, 10.3 again. You know, if Patrick Royce were in here, he'd tell you, I don't need wins above replacement <laughs> to know that Babe Ruth was a great bleeping player. Babe Ruth also played till his age 40 season, although not with the Yankees. Uh, he went to... Where did he finish? The Braves? Uh, the Boston Braves. Boston Braves. Yeah. In 1935, uh, and he was worth... It was tail end of his career. He wasn't quite the player, but he was still worth uh, 6.4, 5.1, and then 0.2 I wins above replacement. I believe he hit three home runs in one of his last games, too. Really? Yeah, I believe. I'm actually going to check I'm remembering that, all the Babe Ruth movies correctly. As long as we're on his baseball reference page right now, this will only take a second to check. Uh, no, he. And think about it. Both you've got Big Bambino, Big Poppy. It's just I know that <laughs> I know that Ortiz wasn't the caliber player of Babe Ruth and right. didn't doesn't have a position. He's been a DH. Right. But it's just to. It's relevant. The longer Ortiz continues to hit 35 home runs every year, and the longer Terry Ryan continues to GM the Minnesota Twins. The final thing I'll leave you with, Touch Em All podcast listeners, is that Babe Ruth ended his career, uh, his final game here on Baseball Reference, May 30th of 1935, that season for the Boston Braves. On May 25th, he went three for four with three home runs, six runs driven in. Ding, ding, ding. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.